1: From elephants in Bolivia to dogs in Syria, that kind of rhymes, right? This is Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. Hope you're having a great night. I'm feeling better. My sinus infection, I think I'm on the downside of it. I'm still having some tooth pain, some pressure pain, but I'm just still taking my antibiotics and I'm sleeping, sitting up. I found out last night when I haven't been able to, I've only been getting like two hours of sleep a night, that if you have sinus pain, you're not supposed to lie down because all of your gunk starts floating around in your face and putting pressure in places where it shouldn't be putting pressure. Wish I had known that. Wish I had Googled that earlier. Or a doctor had said something. It's funny because I think we overestimate what doctors actually know. I think that, you know, that's one thing that I've kind of learned that doctors are just they're they're like Walmart employees and the same thing like cops. They're just doing their job. They don't know everything. We put them on this ideal, like, oh, you're a cop, so you know more about, so they know more about, like, crime scene analysis, maybe. But they also think, well, they know more about crime scene analysis than me. But at the same time, they're thinking about their mortgage and they're thinking about what they're going to eat and stuff like that. So people get distracted all the time. I, You, you kind of have to, you can't put too much faith in them. The microwave beeping is because my meal is waiting for me. It's beans and rice. I had to go off keto because I've been having tooth pain. I can only eat soft stuff. But I'll get back on it. And that's another reminder. If, if you're ever like on a diet and you have to break the diet or you already broke the diet, you had a bad meal, don't let it get you down. You just got to keep going. Because uh, being on a diet or doing any sort of life-changing thing, it's a day-by-day thing. You make a mistake, just, d- and don't say, well, I, I messed up. This stage is already shot. I'm going to eat eight blizzards. You know, you, you got to be rational about this stuff. So here is a fact that um, I've been told. So you know this story is going to be good. When I I started off saying that I've been told a fact or I read a fact and I'm not ready to present any sort of evidence for it, it's disgusting. So I heard that the reason why they invented chocolate milk is tasty as it is. Chocolate milk is the best of all the milks, by the way. The reason why they invented chocolate milk is because they were milking cows so much, they started to bleed into the milk. They, like, chafe. So the milk would turn pink, and they're like, dude, we're never going to be able to sell this pink milk. And someone says, what if we change the color of the milk? So that may or may not be true, but I do know that now, whenever I drink chocolate milk, I'm thinking, this is probably the blood milk. It's kind of disgusting kind of disgusting but i guess like all milk has a little bit of cow pus in it and stuff like that you just got that that's just kind of part and parcel of eating industrialized food or any like i guess all food that comes from an animal is kind of go roady so i wanted to talk about some interesting stories you know i have a board here that i write down story ideas on and in the middle of the board there is somebody scr- Well, I'm assuming it's me because I live by myself, but I have everything's written out really well. And in the middle of it, in barely legible writing, it either says dreams, organ or dragon. I can't really tell. It's a little concerning because I'm the only person in here and none of those are any topics I was even thinking about talking about. I already covered dreams in an earlier episode. So why would I have written that? I must have written it in the middle of the night, in the dark, with my left hand, because I just can't make heads or tails of it. It's, that's kind of creeping me out. It's kind of creeping me out. You know, one of the side effects of doing, like, a paranormal podcast or a conspiracy podcast is you, you have to make sure that you don't get too spooked out yourself. You know, I was talking last night the last episode about doing true crime and it's kind of depressing. It's the same thing with paranormal stuff. I love watching horror movies. I have not been able to bring myself to watch it at all. And it's funny because I'm not even scared of clowns. That trailer just looks so creepy, looks so spooky. And I'm always kind of looking over my shoulder anyway. So, you know, when you're, a, when you're doing a podcast, we were talking about ghosts and these like shadowy groups and stuff like that or weird science. It does kind of put you on edge. So you've always kind of got to find a like a a a balancing act for that. <clears throat> At the time of this recording, or you know a little bit earlier, but we got the good news. The world got the good news, and that was that those twelve young boys and the coach in Thailand were rescued from the caves. And you know that was one of those stories that you're like, oh man, this could turn out really really bad. I, I kind of ignored the story for a while. It wasn't until you know I, I was kind of aware of it in the periphery but it wasn't something that I was really focused on and then once they discovered them I was like oh that's cool and kind of got more into the idea of how they were going to rescue them and at first they were like they might be down there for four months and they're talking about bringing them supplies and all that stuff and it was just insane you know because you know it was pitch dark down there they were down there for 10 days I was talking to my friend she was saying well I remember we were talking she goes You know, they might have had food with them. And I go, they just came from a baseball game or a soccer game, football game. And she goes, yeah, but maybe they had food. I'm like, yeah, maybe a couple granola bars. I don't think that these 10 kids brought enough food for 10 days, let alone one day. I mean, what kid, other than like the chubbiest kid on the soccer team, who's the water boy, basically, who brought like eight Snickers with him. That's not going to happen. Do they even have Snickers in Thailand? I'm sure they do. But anyways, I'm sure like maybe they each had a belly full of Chuck E. Cheese pizza and a granola bar each. And then they're stuck there for 10 days. It's insane. Luckily, they had water, though. Maybe they were eating bats. I don't know. We'll find out more. But it's great that they came out because there's a story that I wanted to do. And I didn't do it at first. And then once that happened, I was like, ah man, I can't. I can't talk about this because it's in bad taste, but now that everyone's safe, everyone's out, I think it is time to broach this subject. My friend Lana can attest, she came over to my apartment the other day and she saw this story written up on my whiteboard. She goes, why is that up there? So she can attest, this actually happened before the Thailand thing. Anyways, here's my question. It's not really a story, it's more of an open-ended question. You're in a cave, and it could be any sort of situation where you're trapped, but let's keep it in a cave. (laughs) You're walking through a cave, there's a cave-in, so you're trapped in a chamber. You try try to get out, like a boulder comes down. You are not able to move that boulder, you are trapped in that chamber by yourself. And you know, unless somebody else rescues you, you're stuck there. So just for the sake of argument, let's say that there is a team on the other side of the boulder, they locate you... Or they were already there when you were out. You know, you guys were all just kind of chilling in the cave. Doing cave stuff. Um, and, you know, I don't know what you would do in a cave. I've never gotten the whole spelunking thing. I've never actually even got, like, diving. Like, you go down and you see stuff and then you come up. And I don't get it. I don't get what the point is. Like, oh, yeah, I saw, like, a blue fish and coral. And that was worth $80. Or how, I don't even know how much scuba diving cost. But anyways, so you're in this cave system. A boulder comes down. You're trapped and the people on the other side of the boulder are like, we can get you out in three days or we'll get you, but we will get you out eventually. You're trapped in this dark chamber. You're all alone. How long do you think it will be before you start to masturbate? That's a legitimate question. I think if you know that you're going to like, you can't facilitate your own escape. The people on the other side can help you get out, but you're stuck. At what point do you go, yeah, I'm going to be here for three days. At what point do you start masturbating? I think once the panic of the situation ends and you realize you're going to get rescued. I'd say the average person maybe an hour. Half hour. I mean, what else are you going to do in a dark cave trapped by yourself? I remember thinking when I was, a, I was probably like in my early 20s. I watched that movie about the guy who gets buried alive. Not the one with Ryan Reynolds, but there was another one. I forgot what it was called. The Vanishing. It's pretty creepy. But I was like, if I got, if I woke up and I was in a coffin and I realized I was under the ground, underneath like six feet of dirt, I'd just start jacking off. Because what's the point? You're not gonna get out. You know, there's if I if I know for a fact that I can't get out of there, I'm just gonna start jacking off because there's there's no point. Now you say, well, maybe you can dig out of your own grave. And uh, yeah, I get that. But we'll we'll just assume that this grave, you're in a really like locked up tomb. And that's why I think the cave example works better. You just can't move the rock. And they'll say, we'll be here in three days. We'll have a tractor pull the rock out. And then I'll just be like, okay, I'm cool. And I just start jacking off. Because what else are you going to do? I think that's the reason why we have the ability to masturbate. It's a survival mechanism in case we get trapped in caves. Actually, that might be where the word caveman came from. That might be a little evolutionary lesson for you. So, you know, today's episode, I came across two stories. One is, again, it's an interesting conspiracy because the, the conspiracy actually has been proven to be true. Now, in Bolivia, for the longest time, there was a rumor of what was called an elephant graveyard. It was a rumor in, in the cities Of these places where alcoholics go to die. So how it's set up is you've lost your family. You've lost your job. You're homeless. And you're like, I just want to end it. And I want to end it doing what I love most. Drinking. So you go to this building. And it's just like a, looks like a storefront. With like the shutter down but you know the secret knock, you know the way to get in there because other bums have talked about it. You go in there, and you're such a bad alcoholic at this point, you can't even hold anything in your hands. You have the shakes, incredibly bad. And what they do is they give you a buckle, a bucket of 95% alcohol and water to water it to, like, water it to taste, basically, to what you can handle. And since you can't hold a cup, you get a ladle, And you just dip it in and pour it into your mouth. You go into a room, and they lock the door. And you drink yourself to death. You have the option. There's also communal rooms where other people are all sitting in there, and everyone's kind of drinking and talking. The rooms are pitch black. And you sit there in the dark, and you drink until your liver and your kidney stops functioning. Now, this was a rumor going around in Bolivia. And it was something that people were like, that's not true. That is like an urban legend. There's no such thing as an elephant graveyard. There was an author who wrote a book about it. And people were like, it was a fictional book. But um, it was, okay, it was called The Elephant Cemeteries. It was by Victor Hugo Viscara, And people thought, oh, that's fake. That's, you know, that's not true. Why are you giving our city such a bad name? That's, that's not true. And eventually, in 2012, Tail Mundo. No, 2014, sorry, um, did a report on it and had footage of the actual elephant graveyards of the people doing this. And at that point, the police, because for the longest time, the story was getting covered up and people were denying that it existed. It was no one in the underclass, but in the middle class and the upper class, they were just denied it. They said it didn't happen. And so eventually the cops, you know, when they were confronted, the cops said, yes, yes, we know there are elephant graveyards. And we have a special team dedicated to shutting them down. And we've been doing this for a while. It's just not something that we thought that everyone needed to know about. Talk about a subculture. It is a place where it's a subculture for alcoholics. Like hardcore alcoholics. When you're just, you have nothing. And you're ready to kill yourself drinking. Now I've read a couple articles about this, and what's interesting is I couldn't figure out how the elephant graveyard do the, how the elephant graveyard operators got paid because it is illegal, and what would happen is they would shut one down, the cops would shut one down, and they would just another one would pop up in the city. So. Did they do it as some sort of humanitarian thing? And you know that was a thing in the in the article. they were saying that the police, the police don't on the not saying this on the record, but basically they go, listen, these people are homeless and they're going to die anyways. They can die on the street and be a problem, or they can go and die in a room. I mean that's it's just the the, the they don't have any. Their families abandoned them. Their jobs abandon them, you know, they have nothing, they're going to die anyway, so that's kind of like, they shut down the elephant graveyards, but at the same time, they're like, you know, these places, they do serve some sort of purpose, as cruel as it is, you know, hitting rock bottom is rough. But hitting you know, like basically to hit rock bottom and say, Yeah, I'm just gonna keep on going. That I mean, that's insane. And the elephant graveyards too, like I said, they lock you in the dark room with the alcohol. If you knock on the door, they let you out. It's not like some saw torture room where they're like have a funnel in your mouth and you have to drink all of that in thirty seconds or your bomb and your stomach's gonna blow up. It's nothing like that. They'll let you out, but then you're back and you're homeless again. So, yeah, crazy, you know, and you wonder that this story was covered up for the longest time and everyone denied it. You wonder what other subcultures are out there, what other bizarro subculture groups are out there that are operating that the some people know about and law enforcement may or may not know about. But the majority of society doesn't know about it or if they do hear whispers about it, they completely disregard it. And I'm not saying stuff like reptilians taking over the planet, but just like real conspiracy theories, real groups Real subcultures that are just kind of floating around. You know, and again, that's always fascinating to me. We're going to do a couple more um, stories. Not today, but I have a couple more subcultures I want to talk about. That are, you know, they're just happening right next to us. Right, you know, it's weird. The other story I wanted to talk about today. Was, happened in Syria. And I thought this story was pretty cool. So... So yeah, you know, that's the thing. Elephant graveyards, it's just a a crazy subculture that's out there. Imagine going into a pitch black room. Imagine being such a slave to your addiction. You walk into a pitch black room with a bucket of alcohol and some water. You pour it in a ladle and you drink yourself to death. Now, here's my question to you. I know we don't want to imagine ourselves in those type of situations, but let's say that you are at rock bottom with your addiction. And you go to an elephant graveyard, you knock on the door, they let you in. You know you're not, you know this is the end for you. You've said goodbye to your family, they're not really talking to you, but you leave them a letter. You walk in there, your hand's shaking, they give you the bucket, they give you the ladle. You go into the pitch black room and they lock that door. How long do you think it would be before you started masturbating? Because, again, I think it would be very quick for me. I I think it would be about five minutes. Because, I mean, sure, now I have something to do. As opposed to the cave, I had nothing to do. Here, I can drink. But that would probably... Well, you know, that would be difficult. Because if I was super drunk, I, I wonder if hardcore alcoholics can actually, like, get it up. That's interesting. I know there's that term, whiskey dick. Yeah. Ooh, That would be terrible. You're trapped. And you can't masturbate. That would be the worst, actually. So, we're going to go ahead and go on to one more story here, and I think this story is fascinating. I know all stories are fascinating, but this involves six special forces units or six special forces, British special forces soldiers, troops, whatever, in Syria. You may have seen this in the news, but a couple months ago, they were on a routine patrol in, in Syria. And they're in an armored vehicle. These six soldiers are in this armored vehicle. They they pull into a town that they're supposed to do recon on. The thing pulls in. I don't know, like chicken scuttle. And people are kind of like looking through the windows. They're suspicious of this, of this vehicle that pulled up. And these six British troops pop out. They got their guns at the ready. They're looking around. They see like... I imagine like a western town. Like there's like a guy tips his hat and like the... They show the mortician. He's like measuring out the coffins for them. This, a sign is <laughs> swaying in the wind. And I know it's not a Western town. But anyways, they they disembark from their armored vehicle. They get out. They, they have just started to kind of swoop the town. And all of a sudden, within a, basically, they're just gunfire comes at them from all angles. They're shooting from buildings. They're shooting from alleyways. And all six soldiers are pinned down everyone's shooting at each other now and the british soldiers are like this is not going well because they're surrounded and they're doing their best they're fighting their best but people are poking out of the windows and lighting them up bullets are just flying right past them hitting the armored vehicle that's next to them they're trying to regroup they can't they try to move away from the vehicle they can't they try to get into the vehicle they can't they're stuck they're pinned down and one of the soldiers looks, and he sees a fighter in a building shooting, and he sees two more soldiers in that same building. They're just pinned down. There's no hope. Now, one of the soldiers, he looks, and he sees one of the gunmen shooting, peeking out from behind the window. Bob, 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 Door to that house is open. He knows if he can get in that house, they can at least secure that building, give themselves a little bit of a security they can start working their way out of the circle of fire that they're in now this soldier doesn't just have his rifle with him he has a dog and he looks down at the dog and he gives the order to enter that house and the dog just takes off into that house and that's when the soldiers start hearing a man screaming now the soldiers are getting a little bit more coverage. They got one area of that circle of fire taken out. The dog then runs out of the house, takes out two more jihadi soldiers, just mauls them. And then the other six, The other, it turns out they were being surrounded by about nine soldiers. The other six now, they're overpowered. It's like six on six now. But the British soldiers, the special forces, they're better trained. They retreat. The jihadis retreat. The soldiers then begin to recon the area, secure the area. They're safe. They go into the house that the dog ran into. There's just a body on the ground and a clump of flesh in the corner of the room. This attack dog, this military dog, ran up on a jihadi soldier who was firing on his squad mates and just ripped his throat out. Spit it out on the ground and then took off after two other targets that is awesome the dog was fine maybe had some scratches or bumps on him now of course the name of the dog they haven't revealed the name of the squad members they haven't revealed but you know because and they waited a couple months to tell the story and i'll put the link in here for security reasons but it's funny because that dog was so well trained not just in, like, being able to remain calm under fire. I mean, that's hard for humans to do. But then to go into this room and take him out with one bite. And then to leave without the commands of the, his, his handler and take out two other soldiers. How, how intelligent of a dog do you have to be to be that tactical? I had a friend. I had a good friend of mine who was one day he was shopping for dogs. He was shopping for a German Shepherd. And I go, oh, how much are you thinking about spending for it? Because, you know, I'm thinking you, know, you go to the pound and you can get jo- dogs or, you know, I know some people will drop like a thousand bucks or like 500 bucks on a pit bull or whatever. And he goes, oh, I'm thinking about dropping like a hundred grand. And I'm like, what are you talking about? A hundred grand for a dog? He goes, oh, no, 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 these dogs are bred. They're about as smart as a fifth grader. Like, intelligence-wise, he go and he was telling me all this stuff. Like, you can train these dogs. They'll patrol you. Know, like, you take them around your house. Eventually, they'll come up with their own patrols. They'll figure out, like, where they need to be at certain times. They're just super well-trained. You have them meet each member of your family. And so they get to know them. So it's not like these guys are walking around with just, like, your average, like, great day. Which, they're they're smart dogs, too. But you know what I mean. Like, they're not walking around with pound puppies. These dogs are go through military training, and this dog was able to assess the situation, take out multiple targets, uninjured, and allow these men to make their way out of uh, this dangerous situation. So, bravo to War Pup! I'm sure he has a real name. They haven't revealed his name, like I said, but we'll call him War Pup. I think that's a good enough name. When maybe someday they will make a movie about him. I don't know, that would be kind of like, that would be the whole movie, I guess, would just be like him doing that. Unless they did like a Rocky story where that is the moment, and like you see, like, first off, he's a dog, like a little puppy, and he has like a bad leg, and the other dogs are making fun of him. Bam! You can make it an animated movie, dude. You can make it a movie. The whole movie is like a cartoon, like a... Pixar type cartoon and they show him like all the other puppies is like he was the he was the runt of the kennel. Until he was picked up And I don't know I can't do the trailer voice But anyway so like he's this little puppy Who like everyone picks on and he's like All sad and then eventually he goes Someday I'm gonna be a soldier And they're like no you're not Even though his name is War Pup, They're like no you're not War Pup, You're just a big nerd And he's like crying and then eventually Like he meets an older dog Who's kind of like scarred up and he's like I was a soldier and they kind of like bond And then you have him meet this girl pup And she's like really cute and she's like kind of like a, a piece puppy and she's kind of like protesting the war but at the same time she like has the hots for him so you have like this cultural uh battle going on you have him finding the mentor you have him facing down the bullies so you have like this typical like pixar cartoon and and just like at the ending show him getting in the armored vehicle he's like waving goodbye to his his uh, cartoon girlfriend who's also like a puppy and she's like a peace, peaceful puppy, but she learns to love War Pup for who he is, and like the old, the old rugged pup. Actually, he died in World War II and it was a ghost the whole time, dude. See, man, why I'm not a movie executive, I don't know. This dog story needs to be told, but then again, I guess I just told it, so that might have fulfilled that factor. Well, that's all we're gonna talk about tonight. This was our 25th episode, which was kind of cool, a little bit of a landmark. So I'm happy about that. But, you know, it's a daily show, so it's not like I've been doing it for an extreme amount of time. But still, 25 episodes. That's pretty cool. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is our email on Twitter at Jason O. Carpenter. Website is DeadRabbit.com, where you can go there and look at all the show notes. Follow all the links to all the crazy articles that we've covered already. 25 episodes. That's pretty awesome. We are going to be back tomorrow. we got some more stories for you. I can finally erase masturbate in a cave off of my whiteboard. But in all, you know, joking aside, I am glad that those kids got rescued. That, that was a really crazy story. And hopefully people stay out of those caves for a while, especially during the raining season. You stay out of those caves too because if there's a cave in, you're going to have to be faced. How long will it take for you to start masturbating? The eternal question that will never be answered, but we try it on Dead Rabbit Radio.
0: Say goodbye